Well, Lord, we again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you uh, that you're leading us into um, a place in your book, a place in your letter of Romans uh, that has been a source of great life to the church historically and, and to us as individuals. Lord, we ask that you would help us see what you want us to see this morning. That you would remove any expectations we have to step into uh, this chapter in a way that uh, satisfies old expectations and be open to what you want to say and what you want to do and how you want to do it. So Lord, I pray that we'd all be listening and we'd all be asking what you want to say to us. So I thank you. I, I do thank you for this, this family. And ask that you continue to bless us through your spirit and through your word. And may we have fun doing it. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said last week, I, I had the privilege to preach at a church in uh, Claremont, California. And, and uh, it was a small Baptist church. Anyone grow up in the Baptist church? Anyone other than me? Okay. Yeah. There, man, it's a different beast. And I hadn't been, I grew up in the, the American Baptist Church, and I hadn't been in a small Baptist church for 15, 20 years, and it was great. <laughs> it really was, in many ways. You know, there's some, the, some of the things that I saw were some of the things I expected, and certain people, you know, you have certain people in your mind when you're used to a certain rhythm and formula, um, and I came into the church with a preconceived notion that there was going to be certain things represented by certain people, and I was curious who was going to come up to me and, you know, mark their territory, and who's going to, you know, kind of just look at me and go, mm, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, you're that person. Okay, you're that person. Great. The formula's still there. We can do this. But they were wonderful people, wonderful people. And all I did was present what we're doing here. Intimacy with Jesus. Is he everything? To you. And what was cool is to see how the dynamic of the room changed when it left from this place of law in the name of relationship. Do you understand what I mean by that? We create, even within a church, and even though we are connected to the spirit of grace, we still have to make grace a law, or we still have to make things law, because it makes sense to us. It's our measuring stick. We can see where we are, right? How many of you like to know that what's going to happen in your calendar and want reality to represent what you planned in your calendar? Yes, right? We, we like to know where we stand. We like to see it. It makes it easier for us, so we think. But it's not always life-giving, is it? No, and even in churches, we have a way we do things, Denominations have a way they do things. We here have a way we do things. And sometimes we are uncompromising in it to a place where it can lead down a, a bad path. And so uh, this morning we're going to go through a chapter. Well, not a chapter. We're going to go through like one verse. <laughs> we'll probably be in this chapter for the, other, for the next umpteen years. Who knows? Uh, if we were in a year in chapter one, chapter eight might be a long time. <laughs> I don't know. But chapter eight, how many know chapter eight? Raise your hand if you know chapter eight. Raise your hand if you've ever put an excerpt of 
chapter 8 on your bumper. Anybody? Or on a bookmark in your Bible. Or a screen saver, right? There's a lot of loaded things in this chapter. Now remember, we want to talk about the tensions. The tensions it provokes. The things that God wants us to pay attention to while navigating with the Spirit the culture around us and the world around us. So we don't give ourselves away to the things of the world and the flesh, which we'll hear about today. So what I'm going to do is read a few verses, just a few, and there might be too much. Just a few might be too much. But we're going to look at them a little bit today. And in context, what Mark presented in chapter 7. Who was here last week for Mark's message? Pretty good, huh? I thought it was excellent. I can't remember anything about it, but I thought it was excellent. No, it was really good. I thought he did a a faithful job at presenting the spirit of vulnerability and pulling it out of Paul and how he approaches, I do what I don't want to do, and you know, that whole thing that we can all, that we can all relate to. How many can relate to the end of chapter seven when Paul is going through that litany of things, right? It was funny, I was talking with some people this morning, we were, we were discussing when Paul writes this stuff, did it take him longer to write certain things in it than others because of its impact. And you look at that and you go, man, that must have took him a long time to just sift through. I'm going, probably not. I think it was pretty easy. Yeah, I stink. <laughs> Sin is all over me, but thank you for the grace of God. That's a, I don't have to think about that. Right? I mean, that's, we can relate to that, can we not? We want to be yoked to Jesus, but we do things we don't want to do. And we've been working hard at getting to a place with Jesus of vulnerability that those things can be talked about and engaged in a way that healing and wholeness can do its job through the Holy Spirit. And chapter 8 is no different. So what I want us to do is lay down our expectations of what we think we should hear because of what we have heard. It is a pivotal, pivotal chapter in Romans, for sure. But we're going to come at it through the way it's supposed to we're meant to, and that's relationally. Okay, So, uh, Lord, guide us. Give us your eyes, your ears, your heart this morning. So I'm going to read just a few verses. I want you to just soak it in. Soak it in. Following chapter 7, we have the great therefore at the beginning of chapter 8. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Let me read that again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of what? Life set me free. From the law of sin and death. Okay, you hear the law. Who hears the law in there? Now, law is a controlling force, right? That's what Paul means by the word law. So the law of the spirit of life is the spirit of life being the controlling what? Force in your life. Could we agree with that? We want the spirit to be the controlling force in our life. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. But too often we look at the the law of the spirit of life through the law that we've been given. That same approach. 
well, I'm not doing this, I am doing this, I'm not doing this, I am doing this. Now look, the law was presented to us by God to make us aware of sin. The law clearly, and we'll see this more in chapter 8, cannot solve, cannot solve the sin issue. Only Jesus could do that. It cannot solve it. It makes us aware of it. The law is good because we see the things that we should be doing, and we want to do those things. But what it also shows is that we can't. Not on our own. We can't. How many have tried the, do and, the do's and don't list of church life, of Scripture? How many have walked that out perfectly? And if you think you have, that's your first mistake. So <laughs> now you're imperfect like the rest of us. Right? It's hard. And when you get something wrong, how do you feel? Good? No, why? Because you, you failed. And then how do you talk about yourself in your mind? Shame. And the self-talk is really pretty, isn't it? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Well, guess what? That's true. (laughs) You're not. I'm not. Based off merit, we're not worthy. Based off our heritage, we are. Why? Because we're his. And he, clearly, through Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for us. But we're great at condemning ourselves and condemning other people. Are we not? Why? Because we hold people up to the letter of the law and call it relational living. Just because you put relate, we want relationship, you're not doing it right. Great method. I've done it <laughs> and I still do it. What am I talking about? I still do it. Wow, that person's really off. Oh boy, I don't want to talk to them. They're not measuring up to what Scripture says. They're not measuring up, not measuring up. No one's going to measure up. Jesus knows that. That's why he came. To do what the law cannot do. The law cannot make you right. No matter what law you put on someone else, it can't make them right. And no matter what law you make Jesus in the image of, it can't make you right. Only what Jesus did there can make you right with him. But we have to walk in step with the law of the Spirit, meaning with Him, the controlling force, not the, not the list of things from the Spirit, but the Spirit Himself. Now, I've wrestled with this because how do you explain to someone what it looks like to give yourself to the Holy Spirit? Now, many of us have one-liners that we can explain that, but it's not good enough. I mean, I... Well, you just have to listen to him. Well, what does it mean to listen to him? How do I do that? Well, you just have to follow his lead. Well, what does it mean to follow? How do you identify where he is? And through all your circumstances, right? I mean, we could be here for the rest of our lives trying to explain how you do that, how you let Holy Spirit have the say in your life and control over you. And I still struggle with that because I feel like I can do it, but I can't explain it. How many of you felt yourself be controlled by Holy Spirit? Is Is it just me or is it hard to give a formula verbally how to do that every time? I mean, I think it's hard. You can maybe describe how you got to that point. Well, I was broken and I had nowhere else to go. So I said, here, God, take me. That usually is how it happens to me. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is 
is the word surrender. Surrender what? Well, what I think I should do. What I think this is telling me to do, even though I'm making it my own image. My expectations, my desires. How many have a hard time letting go of what you want? How can we then allow the Spirit control us when our desires control us? And that's Paul's point, is that we're led by what we want and what the flesh wants. And that's the sin within us that is desiring something other than Jesus. But it's clear that Jesus came so that we would desire only him because only he can make us right. And his Holy Spirit ministers to us. And we'll see more as we go through chapter 8 how the Holy Spirit ministers to us and what he does because it's pretty amazing. And we can gloss over it and just call it really nice things and again put it on bumper stickers, but it has power and impact beyond our understanding. Beyond it. But when we read there is no, there now, right now, the word now means now. <laughs> Not back then. Even now, there is no condemnation. When you're walking with Jesus, he does not condemn you. But yet we do it to ourselves and we do it to others because some, you know, let's just be honest. We want what we want more than we want Jesus sometimes. A lot of times. And that's why we say over and over, our greatest desire has to be him. That's why we are trying to be Jesus-centric in everything because we're told he's the way, the truth, and the life, and you cannot experience the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit of life, without him. You can, the Holy Spirit can't have control over your life without him. It can't. And I don't care how long you've been sitting in this chair. Your resume of attendance or what you've done doesn't mean anything if you're not at the feet of Jesus wanting him and seeing him. People will throw out their resumes. Well, I've been in ministry and I've been, great. I don't care. Can you submit to the Holy Spirit? If you can do that, that's credible. I want to do that. Show me how to do that. We as a church have to be walking in step with the Spirit. And we have made our desires sound religious and Jesus motivated. And then when we realize we're not measuring up, guess where we go? The self-talk. And then we go right back around again. I mean, condemnation is a huge thing. It gives us a sense of clarity. Because we know where something stands. When we condemn it, we know where it is. We love to assign blame. We love it. We, we don't want to admit that, but we want to know the reasons for things, don't we? And we want people to be held responsible for those things. I think there's some good truth behind that at times, but we can get so caught up in finding who's at fault that we lose sight of the main thing. And Jesus shows us, in me, there isn't this. We're not playing the assigned blame game. I took all that. I took all the blame, all the condemnation upon me because I'm the only one that can do it. The only one. He makes it very, very clear. I want you, we see it here, to be free. And when we talk 
months about vulnerability, that's freedom. That's stepping into the freedom of Jesus. Our fears don't hold us anymore. We'll see later in the chapter, what can, if he's for me, who's against me? No, no one can do anything to me when I am with him. Because he frees me from all that. No condemnation, no blame, nothing can hold me or box me in and have control of my life when I'm walking in step with the Spirit. How do you think Paul can do what he does when he's in jail and people come to Christ? Just looking at him. Seeing how he's with Jesus because he has freedom within Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to walk with the Spirit. That's, that's what we are meant to do. He's meant to have the say in our lives. You don't get to say what you want to do. You can, you can tell the Lord, great, but you don't get to decide your calendar. We gave up that right when we said what? Jesus, I'm yours. That's one thing we forget too. There's no take backs. We think there is. Well, life got hard. I'm going to blame you, Lord, and I'm going to take my life back. Instead of us trusting and walking with the Spirit through the hard things. There's no condemnation. And even when we get it wrong, we're still wanting what? Him. And there's no what? Condemnation. <sighs> but what we can do is say that there is, even though we're told that there's not, because we feel the guilt and the shame of when we miss it. So I can tell you we need to walk in the Spirit and do those things, and we may have an understanding of what we think that means, and then when we don't, guess how we feel? Blech. How many, how many of you are a parent? How many of you had those days like, I am a terrible parent? How many of you that's today? <laughs> My kids, I was... There's that, when you're parenting, there's that perfect storm of circumstances that squelch your patience, your proactive responses... And turns it into a complete, got to be careful here. <laughs> Just a bad situation. A bad situation. I can't think of anything before letter words. It's terrible, right? It's this perfect storm. And you are not operating coherently. You're looking the mess in your house, the mess of this conversation, it went downhill real quick. I started really patient. It was going really well. And then they, the kids just looked at me and went like that. And then you go, okay, I'll say it calmly one more time. Ba, 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 ba. And then you're just like, okay, it's over. Game over. Tasmanian devil comes through the house. Tasmanian dad, he's just all over the place. He's mad at you. I'm mad at you. And Finley, I'm mad at you just because you're there. You're just looking at me like this. You're guilty too. You're just encouraging the other two. And then you say, go to your room. You walk them up to their room because they still won't go when you tell them to do something because you got to this point because they won't listen to you. So now you're running them upstairs when you just want them to do that themselves. They can walk. They got legs. But no, you have to take them up there. Then you say, don't open your door. What do they do? They open their door. And finally, you just explode. They're crying, they're mad, 
You're mad, and now you don't even know how this started. You're just in this volcano of anger and... It's awful. And then you stand there, and you're like, how did we get here? I could not find my way back. If you gave me 100 years, I have no idea how we got here. And then, and then to make yourself feel better, you say, I'm really angry, but I love you. I love you, and I'm proud of you. I don't know why right now, but I am. And you close the door. Well, I left it on a good note. And then the self-talk comes in. Man, I suck at this. And it feels very real, doesn't it? It gets me choked up thinking about it. Wow, I failed. Wow, my bank account's gonna get hit with therapy bills. (laughs) For me and my kids. Praying Mark will work pro bono for me. (laughs) And then it just keeps going. And we condemn ourselves. Now, this scenario happened to me (laughs) verbatim. And I came down the stairs after I exploded. And I'm sitting there in the kitchen with Shanna, who watched the show and knew just to get out of my way. (laughs) And I knew she probably had some words for me. (laughs) But... They were kind, actually. And I sat there, and I started crying. And I said, I am such a terrible parent. I'm a bad dad. I said it out loud, not knowing that Gracie had come down the stairs and was standing right behind me. Now, here's what unconditional love does. It looks at our self-talk and how we condemn ourselves to say, that's not true. When you're in Christ Jesus, it's not true. She said, Dad, you're a wonderful dad. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. I'm like, either you're in denial of what just happened, or you are, you are a master at forgiving. I'm still hoping it's forgiveness and not denial, because that'll come back to bite me later on. But what Jesus did was he eliminated the condemnation so we would no longer have to measure ourselves by our own law or his law was to simply see ourselves as he sees we are flawed. But because of who he is, we have eternity and glory and righteousness in a relationship. You are not just a soldier in God's army. You're his children. Who he wants free. But we keep putting ourselves in bondage because of sin. Paul says he talks about we do what we don't want to do. He talks about the dilemma of that which is why we have to be simplistically focused on Jesus and him alone. Because if you just look at every circumstance that's discouraging and the self-condemnation comes in, or then we're going to condemn someone else because we're condemning ourselves. Misery loves company. When my self-talk is really bad, when I condemn myself, don't be around me because I'm going to condemn you for something. Just looking at me weird. Or saying hi in an irritating way right? Or just little things. You're like, why did that bother me? They just said, hi. What was that face they made? You mean smiling? 
Yeah, don't smile at me. My self-talk is horrible. Don't you know that? No, I don't know that. But Jesus doesn't want us living by that law. Our measuring sticks are terrible, and they're not life-giving. And though the law is good, God's law is good, and it can only be fulfilled through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. And that just comes with yoking yourself to him. Because here's the deal. Gracie's going to be a lot like me. Why? Because she's with me all the time and she sees me. She sees my behavior. What do you think will happen if we continue to press into the Holy Spirit? We will become more like Jesus. Which means what? The law, you don't have to worry about doing all these things. They will naturally and organically flow out of you because you are with the one who holds that perfectly. So there's this tension that we have to categorize everything when it comes to Jesus and put it in the system so we know where we stand. I don't want to know where I want to stand. I want to know whom I'm standing with. Knowing where I stand is overrated because I still have to figure out what I'm going to do with what I see. And we all know what my decision-making is like without Jesus. So even if I see all things, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Not in a way that would be life-giving. But Jesus says, that's why he says, abide in me and I in you. And then you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. Even if you saw the future... You, you can't do anything. Power is not supposed to be our responsibility. His. And we walk with him. So when we look in this chapter, therefore, there is now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. In him. Not just, not just believes, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I pretty much believe the information. No, in him. They've made, we've made the exchange. We're walking with him. We've laid it down. We've surrendered. And that's a daily thing. But that's a hope, right? We're surrendering. Lord, my life is yours. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. Set me free from the law of sin and death. So what I want, the self-talk that makes me feel better because it's paying penance to the bad decisions I've made, we're set free of that. We have to live and choose to live in that freedom, which means we have to yoke ourselves to Jesus, which means we have to continue to wrestle with how do we allow the Spirit to control who we are in the best of ways. I cannot tell you that in a formula except for a day-by-day thing, which is why we have those questions on the banner, because it doesn't say, it doesn't say, uh, uh, Lord, or it doesn't say, Brendan, what do you want to say to me? I said, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Because that is an act of surrender. And it's the only way I know to allow the Holy Spirit to move in you and through you is to be like, okay, here it is. I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it or even if I'll notice you, but I'm open to noticing you. I'm open to all these things. And he just does it. I don't know. He just does it. And it's good. And it's freedom. We don't have to know. We just stay with him. 
Isn't that great? Even most dogs can do that. Sit. Mine doesn't do that very well, but that's more because of me. <laughs> Stay. Stay with him. Stay with him. And then the law of sin no longer has this say. Do you feel the temptation of it? Absolutely. Are we going to fail at times? Absolutely. But there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We won't get it perfectly. But because of his grace that we don't take for granted, we can continue to step in and learn so that we can walk others through and learn, which is called discipleship, folks. So that's an introduction into chapter 8. And we're going to stay in this as long as we need to. Or as short as we need to. But do you hear what I'm saying this morning? So as we close, I want to uh, pray some prayers that, uh, over us. And here's a moment for us to practice. God gives us authority over spiritual things. Okay, we see that in Scripture. In the name of Jesus. And there are certain things spiritually that come at us. And that we can live under those things. How many have lived under the spirit of fear for a long time? Okay. Me too. And areas of my life, yeah. And there's a lot of different things. Oppression. I mean, we could go to depression. The uh, list goes on. But what I want to do now is break off certain things in Jesus' name, which is clearing, clearing the room out with his presence that might want to take us out. And what I mean by that is this. There are certain things we believe church needs to be because we were taught church needs to be that way. How many have those? Some of those are true. Jesus needs to be the head. Amen to that. You can't wear your hat in church. Zamora. <laughs> Not true. Doesn't have any bearing on relationship with Jesus. See what I'm saying? So Lord, pray with me, please. Just anything that you see in your own life, you have the authority in the name of Jesus to start breaking that stuff off. And it's simply this, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I break off the spirit of fear over my life. I break it off. That doesn't mean it's completely absent, but now you're clean, clearing out the spiritual junk. You still have to choose to step into Jesus. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, I break off the spirit of self-condemnation over this body in Jesus' name. And the condemnation of any kind in the name of Jesus. Lord, I break off the spirit of fear and complacency in Jesus' name in my own life and over every person here. And Lord, I break off the spirit of embedded things that are not of you, that we've made you to be, in Jesus' name. Lord, for those of us that are still in bondage, in the name of Jesus, I break those chains. And I say to you, breathe the, the free air in his spirit. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that we would breathe in the free air your Holy Spirit, through the power of what Jesus did on the cross, would fill our lungs 
anew and afresh. And that we would walk with you in spirit and in truth. And that we would engage you like never before, personally and as a, as a body, as a family. That we would continue to become more like you. And the only way we can do that is continue to engage your spirit and surrender. We want to become like you and be with you. So Lord, bless us. May we continue to have the courage as you lead to step out in vulnerability. Say, here I am. I'm free. I'm free. There's nothing anyone can do with to me because you're with me, Lord. And I'm yours and you're mine. May we stay obsessively focused on you, Jesus. May you become our greatest desire if you're not already. May we engage you. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray a blessing over our tithes and our offerings. We are in financial challenge. It's a challenge to us, not to Jesus. He is our greatest resource. And so, Lord, we partner with you. I do not know what the future holds, nor do I care to know. We just want to know you. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would walk with you in our gifts and our tithing. And we would do so as a response to who you are. Not out of obligation. Not even to make up a deficit. But to simply honor you. And glorify you. For you are worthy. Our lives are in your hands. And there's no greater place for us to be. So I pray your blessing over these gifts. They would be honoring and glorifying to you. And that... um, we would continue to see you and only you. So we pray your blessing over our time, remainder of our time here this morning, that we take advantage of it and step into you and to one another in a real and authentic way, allowing your spirit to move in us and through us. We pray this as your church, as your people, and as your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I am
the good news of the gospel. Sometimes we get tangled up. I remember back in Eden Prairie, I was still, I was probably a little bit younger than Brennan was in counseling. And this guy who was so well respected in our church, always wore a suit, very polished, owned his own business. He came in and uh, said he wanted to see me. So I thought I was in trouble. (laughs) And he came in and he sat down and I, I said, Joe, what would you like to talk about? And he said, I, 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 need, I need to tell somebody this. And I said, well, what? And he said, I, I drink too much and I have an anger problem. I kind of took a deep breath and said, yeah. And as we're talking, it started to reel back. And I remember, here's a guy who's almost 60 years old. Now he's in tears. He says, I just can't get past my dad saying, you will always be a loser. And I I said, well, Joe, who says really gets to say who you are? We all know the answers. Jesus, he knew that was the answer, but he wasn't wearing the answer. Brene Brown talks about the big difference between shame and shame comes and it it attacks you as a whole person and says, you will always be a loser. It takes the place of God who has the final judgment to say, that's it, you're done, you're always a loser. You'll never get better. That's what shame does. That's what condemnation does. 
What good godly sorrow and guilt does is that was a mistake, Lord. I'm sorry. Would you give me another chance? Yes, son. But not only does it confess that part of it, it confesses and says the same thing that God is saying. And God is always saying, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. I love you. You're mine. We're not done yet. We're not through yet. I'm going to keep working in your life. I'm going to keep changing your life. I'm going to keep encouraging you, being there. I will always be with you. Never will I leave you alone. And so as we start this journey as to how do I become more like Jesus, it starts with this. Listen to how you talk to yourself. Does it sound like him, Jesus? Or does it sound like some other voice in your past? And then practice good confession. Say the same things he's saying. Can we pray? Lord, as we hear this word, we know that you don't want it just to fall into shallow ground, fallow ground. You want it to fall into deep soil. So, Lord, we open our hearts and we say, help us this week, Holy Spirit. Help us this week to notice what we're saying to ourselves. And not just notice, but then to step into grace and to begin to say with you the things that you're saying to us. We ask for freedom, grace, the boldness to sing the song we just sang. We are redeemed. I'm not the same person I used to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you richly. See you next Sunday.